1: Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian Family Counselor and Parenting Expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. And I'm excited to bring you another guest today. You're going to be meeting Drew Vernon. Drew is the marketing director for Tony's, where he leads Tony's for teachers, partnering with schools, museums, and libraries to promote screen free education for children. His work contributed to the Tony's being named as one of the Fast Company's 2021 most innovative companies in the education category. Prior to Tony's, Drew led the U.S. preschool business for Lego. Here he created Prescriptions for Play, building a network of 2,500 pediatricians to promote daily play between parents and children. This program has become one of Lego's key global social responsibility initiatives. Drew is also an entrepreneur and started Connecticut's first state-licensed pay-by-the-hour daycare center. Before transitioning into early childhood education, Drew spent five years in beauty consumer packaging goods where he worked for P&G and Juergens. Drew has an MBA in brand and product management from the University of Wisconsin, where he was recently recognized as one of the eight to watch under 40. I'm one of the one million to watch under 60. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Drew.
2: Oh, it's great to be here, Allison. Thank you so much for having me.
1: My absolute pleasure. And I got a chance to jump on your podcast and listen to you. I think you were talking to your daughter. How old are your kids?
2: Uh, So I have three kids. The oldest is 12, a daughter. Uh, My son is nine. And then my youngest daughter is six.
1: So you're you're not only living the business world of, of kids and child development and creativity, but you're you're living it at home, too.
2: That's right. I've got my hands full. It's it's every day is a new experience.
1: Yeah. So I'm really interested, just a little of my background. My mother was an art teacher. My family grew up in theater, doing a lot of theater games, which are also creativity story-based things. And my grandmother was a children's librarian. So when I heard about you and your initiatives and um, you know the work that you're promoting, I thought, I've got to talk to this guy. He's he's one of my tribes. So can you just start maybe by saying a little bit about, about non-screen time? Because we know it's here. You've got kids that must all be wanting to jump on their iPads and, you know, (laughs) play Paw Patrol and whatnot.
2: Yeah, this is really interesting. And I think this is kind of an evolving uh, topic that we need to confront as parents and as educators, because with COVID, Screen time rules kind of went out the window. So the general regulations, as I understand them, is that you should have no screen time for kids under two and then up to an hour a day for kids under five. And I was part of the group that kind of had that screen time guilt, giving my child something for longer than an hour a day. And as COVID hit us, all of the the daycares and school system kind of shut down. uh, And it was just really spotty. uh, And we were working from home and we used it as a crutch. And so we were giving our kids screens more and more and more. And now a lot of the curriculum at school is screen-based just because they've had to adapt. So now as we come out of the pandemic we're dealing with some bad habits that we have adopted and where we need to take the reins on it and say hey there is a, such a thing as too much screen time we need to be deliberate with our screen time and we need to offer parents and educators more resources for screen free education and learning
1: well hallelujah to that and so so talk about the you know what screen time pushes out from like a child development point of view what gets missed when we just and, and we're all guilty of it. Like, I mean, just, we all know, suspend judgment. We all had to get through the pandemic. We all, you know, let the Wild West go and we're all trying to recover from it. But, but when we, we to, to motivate us to say, we need to pull in the reins, we need to reduce the screen time because when we're on screens, we, we're having some missed opportunities in some other developmental realms. So, so what do you think is, is being forfeited when we're too much on screens?
2: I think there's a few different things. Number one is uh, from like an attention standpoint. So you have a screen that emits blue light. It kind of, I use the technical term zombie mode, you know, and there's, there's an adverse reaction to that as screen time is prolonged. So if you've ever tried to get a three-year-old or a four or five-year-old off of a screen, after they've been watching two hours of shows, there's a meltdown, there's a tantrum. And that's because they get into this zombie mode where they, the, they're they staring at the light. Um, that's kind of the first thing that I think about. The second thing that I think about is just that a screen is designed to take you somewhere else, which is, which is fine to a degree, you know, stories take us into new and different worlds, but anything that you're looking at a screen is taking you to either a digital version of something or something that's happening somewhere else. And so just by definition, that's taking you out of the here and now, which, you know, if if you're trying to be mindful, you're trying to be present, it's extremely difficult to be present and mindful when you're staring at something that's either a digital representation or a representation of something that exists somewhere else. And then the third kind of aspect as I see it as we take a look at education of our children and and telling them stories and, and experiencing the world. Those are all great things. But when you give a child the visual stimulus, it gives them exactly the representation of what the thing is or or should be. And when you remove that, it puts the creative responsibility upon the listener to do that in their own mind. And so it's a creative muscle that they flex, where if you're reading them a book or a story or a poem uh, or educational nonfiction content, they have to do some of that brain work on their own because it's not being given to them in the form of visual stimulation.
1: Well, and we've all, in a sense, had that where you say, like, what did you like better, the movie or the book? You know, and, and if you've read the book first and your mind has had to have the creative muscle flexed, you've got your own version of the lead character and, you know, all those images that you painted in your mind. And then you watch the director's version on the big screen and you're like, oh no, why did they put Tom Hanks in that role? That, <laughs> that was supposed to be Jude Law. Come on, <laughs> or whoever the person is in your head, you know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Because, you know, you are part of the story when you have some of the creative control. You can use the descriptions being given to you uh, to determine how that comes together in your mind. But you kind of lose that um, that participation when it's just being presented to you.
1: And is it so important, though? I mean, I mean fr- from that one, that one little developmental skill of making your own symbolic representation, I mean, does that... Is is that it, or is 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 that like a keystone to all creativity, or say why that yeah. one thing can be so big?
2: I think it's a mix of both because you know this extends beyond just screens, like to watch a movie or a show. Like if you look at a painting, you know the painting is there looking for you. This is what the painting is. You can determine what it means to you or how you're going to interpret it. But it's okay for somebody to give you a stimulus and to present it to you. I think what You lose is if that's the only tool in your tool belt as a parent or an educator, uh, then you give up on the opportunity to share that creative responsibility or to help make the child uh, an author in their own right or a creator in their own right, rather than just being served up and presented somebody else's creation.
1: Yeah, we my my my, uh, past husband talked about the difference between being a consumer and a producer just in in any in any regard, right And so when you're creating the story, you're a producer you're you're making content as opposed to passive consumption, right even just that small thing of having some agency and um you know uh, yeah, it's kind of a cool little dichotomy
2: that yeah, that's exactly how I think about it too because. It, it's okay to be a consumer you know you should try to be a, a conscious consumer whether that's the food that you eat or the the stuff that you buy or the things that you read um, but that's also get gets into the power of stories and the power of you know taking some of these educational offerings and having that be your consumption experience but for me it's a continuum you ultimately want especially it, it, as it pertains to children and childhood development giving the proper consumption experiences that lend to eventually a production experience or to help the child go from consuming to creating on their own.
1: Yeah. And, and I didn't, I mean, maybe we're doing a better job of educating the public about the importance of of stories and books and reading and reading to your kids and and even how to read a book with the child. Like I think, you know, uh, to to stop and pause and say, what do you think he's going to do next and how would that make you feel and all those interactive little devices or whatever, I think uh, people have learned more about that. But there really are still people that grew up without books who didn't whose parents didn't hold it as a value didn't have a lot of kids books around when I say oh you, you know do you remember whatever Charlie the Rose Horse or something like oh, I don't know that book we didn't have books I'm like really was it really just my family um the importance of kids books and stories just as a concept is is I think is huge it, it can you speak to that
2: yeah I think so I'm, I'm reminded you know my daughter's school just put on uh, Matilda as a school play. And, you know, I was familiar with this story, a uh, classic role doll. And it was a little bit eerie to watch because, you know, the, for those who may not be as familiar with that story, it's about a, a precocious girl who loves books and her parents are just kind of like part of the hustle. I think her dad is like a used car salesman. And every time she tries to read a book, uh, the dad is like, go watch TV. And it, it's a sensationalized version of kind of what happens in some households and it's not always that sinister but you have a lot of parents who are too busy uh they don't have the mental energy or the, the capacity whatever your excuse is to really foster that love of reading and of storytelling, and so uh, I think it's just such a critical part of childhood to to give your child access to stories. You know, books are great. You know, at Tonys, we you know the Tony Box is a screen-free speaker that's targeted to kids who are pre-literate. So even before they can read their own words, they can access this through a Tony figure, put it on the box, and they can have an on-demand audio experience. Uh, so I, I think us as parents and educators, it's a tool in our tool belt to help promote that love of literacy and get the child on track to, uh, to you know, a lifetime of learning.
1: So tell, so tell me, because I haven't actually experienced the, the Tony box. I mean, I saw some of the clips and things, but I'm not sure I fully understand it. I know that with my kids, when we would go on road trips, this is back before every car had one of those drop-down video screens. Like, and, and certainly long before iPads that are, you know, handheld devices. Um, but I, I didn't want any of those in my car. So when we would go on longer trips, I would go to the library And I would get the little plastic bag that had the storybook with the little cassette tape. And I'd put the cassette tape in the dashboard of the car. This is how old I am. Um, and the, and it would go ding when you would turn the page, and there would be this mm-hmm. audio reading and ding, and you'd read the page, and that's how my kids did car, long car trips when they were little. Um, I don't know if those even still exist anymore, but this sounds like the box. It, it's an auditory experience, right? So, the, so yeah, it, exactly. It's basically
2: just uh, it's the twenty first century. Uh, version of what you did with the cassette tapes, so
1: and you don't uh, Tony... have to get in the minivan to do it.
2: <laughs> no, you don't have to, but you, but you can. So, you know, Tony Box is it's a screen-free speaker for kids. It's about a five-inch cube, and it's a speaker that's encased in like a layer of foam and durable fabric. So it's very durable for kids, and it has kind of like a platform on top where you put a magnetic uh, Tony figure. It can be anything from storybook favorites of. You know pete the cat llama llama winnie the pooh disney favorites um we're, we're coming out with new figures all of the time but essentially you put the, the figure on the box it's designed so that a child young as two or three can do it themselves uh and then through tactile play they can navigate so because there's no screen the navigation of the chapters or stories or songs is done by just kind of giving the box a little whack and so that's the tactile Element that advances the track, or you can fast forward it or rewind it by tilting it. And that's pretty much the essence of it.
1: And they've been, and they're pre recorded stories around that character or whatever. Like they're, they're y- we know where the plot is. You could listen to the same story twice if you wanted.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like Corduroy, for example, we just came out with Corduroy. It's narrated by Viola Davis, and you can uh, match it up with the book. Uh, and you can have it as a read along, you know, so several of our figures do have that. Uh, and then some of its original content. So we actually partnered with Sesame Workshop, uh, to create original productions, uh, for Elmo and Cookie Monster. Uh, so that's kind of fun too, but all, all sorts of different kinds of content. There's, there's stories, there's songs. Uh, we actually brought on LeVar Burton. He was a childhood uh, hero of mine, uh, watching him on Reading Rainbow, yes. uh, Probably against uh, my better judgment, I I found his agent and cold called him and just said, hey, I know you're passionate about childhood literacy. Would you consider coming on board? So we actually have a Tony for LeVar Burton where he's reading his book and we created some additional original content around social and emotional uh, learning uh, as well
1: well i I love that they can have access to this on a dedicated device because I think that's one of the problems when I try to get kids doing like um, sleep stories on the on different apps or meditations on the app you still have to have the you still have to have the device with them and and, and right. if you want to say no devices before bedtime or you know uh park your your devices before you go to sleep you don't really you don't have that opportunity <laughs> like this is dedicated they're not going to go jump on other things and whatever this is a single use purpose right
2: yeah it's dedicated uh, it, can, it can really be a child's first device uh, because you don't have to worry about you know internet connectivity uh, with getting onto Alexa or Siri or, or being exposed to content that you don't want them on. And then also the, the screen-free feature, you know, uh, I can't think of many things more counterintuitive than uh, a mindfulness app on a smartphone uh, where you're like staring at a screen, maybe you're closing your eyes, but to have it screen-based is just uh, counterintuitive for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, well, I'm a big meditator, but I'm a grown up. So I'm I, I can I, I can manage the, uh, the, confu- <laughs> the confusion of that. But I'm not yeah. sure like, you know, a, a six year old that's got attentional issues is really going to do well in that environment, right? In terms of, you know, the creative process and uh, the importance of that, then you said there's, are we are we teaching them distinct skills other than than what we've covered here more than just it's more than just imagination? Is it not?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think this goes back to kind of our earlier discussion about, you know, moving children along from the consumer experience to the creator experience. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love Tonys as well, because we give that consumer experience with Sesame Street or with LeVar Burton, some of those Tonys that I mentioned, because those are pre-recorded. But we also have figures called creative Tonys, which come blank. And they're programmable with up to 90 minutes of your own content. And so this really gives an opportunity for children to shine, uh, to write their own songs, to write their own stories, their own poems, and to to hold on to that as a keepsake. Uh, Just as an aside, grandparents also love the Creative Tonies because they can record a bedtime story or a special message on their phone and send it to the figure from anywhere in the world. But back to your question, I, I think... What I found at my time at Lego and, and now at Tony's is there's a gap between the consumer experience and the creator experience. And the analogy that I like to tell is that, you know, if you think about the the Lego sets that, that the company sells, most of what they do is they've got a box of bricks. You open up the box, you dump it out and it's got an instruction book and you follow page one, two, three, all the way. And then you have your rocket ship or your castle at the end. And that's great. And that's, that's definitely helps with motor skills, following instructions. Those are all good qualities. That's a type of play. But there's a gap because the other type of uh, set that Lego sells is just that yellow bucket of bricks that's, you yeah. know, dump them out and build whatever you want. So you build a little plane or a little house. And most kids, unless you're a master builder, are, are going to come up with something that's kind of rudimentary. And there's not really an inherent progression of going from that structure based, uh, rule based experience of having a perfect creation to having a completely open ended experience. And so the way that I have found to reconcile that is through giving creative prompts and to bridging that. um, I call it the guided masterpiece, because if you give your child a prompt or a parameter, then it's not just giving them a blank canvas. It's giving them rules to stay within, but creativity within those constraints and within those rules. And that's how I think that we should be bridging the gap.
1: So I, I I love using the Lego example because you know people argue what's better the kits or the freestyle and I agree with you I think there's benefits to both um, but if you've got somebody with freestyle and then you say this is where the, you're saying if I'm understanding you correctly so so please correct me if I'm wrong in the interpretation so if they're sitting in front of a, a bucket of blocks and they don't know where to begin. And you say, hey, what would your house look like if you were building a house? So they've got something prompted to, to get going. Is that the kind of thing?
2: Yeah, I think so. It's giving them a starting point for sure. Uh, that's going to get them. To, I, I mean, I'm in marketing, so we call it a creative brief, right? It, it, you need to build a house. It has two stories and four windows you know, and a staircase, you know, that's a rudimentary creative brief where I think the true magic comes in is where you start to associate two seemingly disconnected ideas into a connected experience. So this might be, you know, what if a house got hungry? What does that look like? And and Then you leave it up to the child. And I just made up that example. It's kind of silly example, but you might come up with a house that has, you know, some giant teeth or a a house that has, you know, like some fangs or or something coming out. uh, and, And I think when you bring two ideas together, the result might be something completely useless and silly, but it's also... Helping you think about an idea that no one else has ever thought about, which is going to make you more original and it's going to help you uh, be more creative in your problem solving and your art, you know, artistic pursuits.
1: I love that example of if a house was hungry, these non content, these things that we don't normally put together. And I'm sure you have read the famous research. I'm sorry. I'm not going to quote the, the, the source properly, Um, but it's the one where they give a, a kindergarten a paperclip and ask them what are all the different things you can do with a paperclip and then they retest them when they're in grade six or something years later. Again, I'm not being accurate with this. But basically the idea being that our creativity of what to do with a paperclip massively declines as we go into formal education and we start learning to apply rules and we lose some of that creative openness that is the brilliance of a child's mind. Uh, and so solving the hungry house thing would probably be better solved by a four-year-old than by a 12-year-old because the four-year-old is still probably completely open to all kinds of interpretations and it hasn't been locked into rigid rules that shut them down from the from the creative process.
2: Yeah, I think that's... a. Uh... That's a fantastic example. The paperclip. I've I've heard that one. I I think, you know, maybe uh, I could hypothesize why that is. And I think it's because of our habits and our education system, where in a lot of ways, the older kids get, the more we teach them to to take tests, uh, to to study for the test. Uh, These are the things that we want you to learn uh, where it should be a more I don't want to say simply open ended. But it needs to be more focused on building a child's toolkit and uh, keeping that creative spark alive. Where we're not telling kids, "This is how it needs to be done." You need to paint inside the you know inside the lines every time. You need to have you know uh, a perfect you know. Going back to the house example, you know it, it shouldn't look like the same for every child because you want to bring in color, you want to bring in different shapes, different creativity. So whatever you're brief is, you want to have that element of originality and um, maintain that spark uh, that keeps a younger child um, dreaming and having the, the tools to to know what to do with their skills.
1: And in this day and age, and I'm sure you're coming up against this all the time, Drew, like as, as we are, you know, I don't believe that parenting is about, I believe that parenting is about preparing your child for life, the life, the, the society that they have to integrate into and hopefully improve the society that they're going to integrate into. But as we are raising kids in this era, that a lot of the preparation for for the skills of the future will be replaced with artificial intelligence. And the one thing that is really going to become a commodity in, in our children that we're raising now is going to be people who are creative and who can work in teams. Because I think that's really what the next you know, general workforce looks like, because we won't just be running programs on things, right? So creativity is going to become, I think, the new best asset.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to automate creativity. You know, if it, if you can automate it, if you can code it, it's it's going to be replaced. So if you're looking at a job where that's a key part of your responsibility, it's probably time to start, you know, thinking about something else, because creativity is not something that you can just code and have a repeatable creative experience, um, based on, you know, just repetition and, you know, hard coding, that, that's not how it works.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, just for, for parents listening to, 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 to the way that I'm talking about creativity. And I, I think Drew and you were on the same page with this is, um, it's not like, Creativity is like my child is going to be a poet or a painter or a a pianist or whatever. Um, I think about the creativity that came into the problem solving where when my kids uh, were coming home from school, taking off their socks and stuffing them in the couch. And I was like, hey, kids, like this is like the common part of the house. You know, it's um, I don't think I should have to smell your socks. Like, how can we do that better? And they were all like, oh, they didn't want to go all the way up to their bedrooms where their laundry hampers were to put their dirty socks in the laundry hamper because they were just home from school. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not invested in, in, in how this goes down. I'm just saying, like, how can we do this better? That's. Creativity. How do we solve a problem? This is like a real family problem. These like stinky socks and the cushions. And, and so my kids were like, well, they ruled out. They don't want to go upstairs. But, but because we regularly problem solved as a family, they had exercised the muscle. So what they came up with, Drew, is they said, could we take off our socks at the same time as our shoes and put them in a little basket in the front hall closet where you can't smell them or see them? And then on laundry day, we dumped that little mini laundry basket into the big laundry basket and then they're not in the living room and we don't have to go upstairs and they're out of sight and they don't smell and I'm like brilliant that's creativity that that's not an opus that's not a painting but that's creativity
2: yeah, uh, I think maybe that's a myth. Is is that it has to be some dynamic thing that's gonna get you world, you know, recognition, and it's you're gonna be your magnum opus. Really, uh, creativity is built on iteration, and iteration is something exists. It could be better. What's the little thing that can make this thing better? And for for you in your case, it was the the process of getting you know the stinky socks where they needed to be, and, and so that's absolutely creativity because you you put a little tweak to the current system and you made it a little bit better and iterated on it.
1: Yeah. You know, and again, I'm going to piggyback on some of the things that we talk about, you know, in, in parenting around, if you have family meetings and you give it a try for a week, so let's try the basket. Let's try it for the week. Did it work? Was it too big, too small? Did people actually do it? And to your point, iterative, move on. And that, tweak let's see let's try let's experiment try something different is like that mindset of creativity and experimentation which i think counters what a lot of kids suffer from which is that rigid rules right wrong dichotomous perfectionism mistakes are bad Mm -hmm. um and all of those things are mitigated when we get more into a creative mindset that way
2: right yeah, and I, I think you know you alluded to it, but it, it's definitely worth calling out just this attitude of uh, failure and, and what failure means and not being afraid of it and to say, hey, it's okay not to get this right on the first time or the second time or the 18th time. The important thing is, is we're going to find what works and we're going to embrace failure as a, a learning launchpad.
1: I was just thinking as you were saying that one of the things, again, going back to my how old I? My kids are already twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Not that old, but life changes quickly, right? But I remember we used to have this bedtime game where my kid, I would say, "Give me three words, and then I'll turn it into a story." And then my kids would want to stump me, so they would say something like, "Cactus, milkshake." You know, uh, pogo stick (laughs) or something. And then I would have to tell them a bedtime story made up using those three words. And I'm wishing now, so you're telling me that if I would have the Tony box, I could have recorded those stories while I was telling them. And that could have been recorded and played back, my great, because it was, you know, there was brilliance that happened there. I want you to know, Drew, I was brilliant. I was brilliant. It never got (laughs) captured.
2: I believe you. Yeah. That's one (laughs) of the the great things about the Tony box is you can capture that and it's a keepsake. So whether it's the child uh, making up songs or silly stories or it's grandma or grandpa uh, having, you know, messages uh, to their, their grandchild, like you can keep that and uh, treasure it as a family keepsake.
1: And how many people, t- I mean, this is, again, going back to things that, that now there's a device that makes it so easy. There's so many people that are saying like, oh, I, I really wish that my kids knew the story of grandma and grandpa and whatever when they came over or what, what their first day of school was like or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this is a pretty easy interface to capture those little nuggets of of storytelling of, of their life history, like a, a bit of an autobiography kind of a thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's just a recording function. Uh, we have, a, you know, the free app that comes with Tony Box. Uh, you tap the record button and maybe every day you have a creative prompt, you know, tell me about your first date. Tell me about your your first, your best friend growing up. And like you could do it in increments of like a minute or two a day and just add those. And, and before you know it, you're going to have a whole kind of audio biography uh, for your loved ones to enjoy in the years to come.
1: So the prompts are The prompts are embedded in, the, in uh, the. The
2: prompts, no, the prompts aren't. That's oh, not yeah. part of uh, what we sell. That's part of my vision. Like I, I want to help guide that process. Uh, maybe check back in a couple of years. Maybe we'll be there. But yeah. anybody is free to think of ideas, or you could probably Google it. You know, have you know idea starters or, or thought starters, and just take yourself through a system of what do I want to pass along, uh, what kind of you know. There's a strong the human tradition is based on oral history and passing down oral tradition. And this is a way to capture it. And so I, I think there's immense power in that.
1: Yeah. I was just listening to another podcast about uh, how the brain likes to work in symbols and, and, um, and that's part of the, that's part of the story process too, right? That is how our biological, <laughs> we're that's really where we're meant to be storytelling, sitting around the fire after eating the wildebeest that we've killed together. and
2: <laughs> Yeah. Life is, life is storytelling. You know, everybody yeah. uses storytelling uh, and you know, it's, it's a persuasion tool. It's an enjoyment tool, but like the part of the, the human experience is telling stories and listening to stories.
1: And, and even as a clinician, I often ask clients, what was your favorite childhood story? Because I'm looking for the themes, you know, was it Diary of a Wimpy Kid? You know, wh- was it somebody who was not treated well? Was it somebody who overcame? You know, there's, because we also have narratives in our head about, about life. You know, those are our lived fictions of how we see life and they get, they get, planted in childhood. So yeah, they're, they're important therapeutically too. Oh my goodness. So Drew, t- so let the people know here, cause you're involved in so many things. If they want to continue learning about this, finding out more about you, where can they find you? Where they, can they keep going along this path?
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh, anybody interested in uh, reaching out to me, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I actually have a podcast with my youngest child. It's called Childhood. Uh, it's uh, designed to just share our childhoods, you know, sh- her sharing the childhood that she's experiencing now and, uh, you know, me telling stories for mine. So, you know, when you're talking about the cactus and that the pogo stick and the milkshake, that's literally what I do with with my daughter. And, and we record it on our podcast. Uh, in terms of Tony's, uh, you, you can find us on Instagram at Tony's uh, at Tony's dot com. Uh, you can find us at Amazon, Target, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, um, you know, your retailer of choice. And then I also host a, a second podcast called Tony Time, which talks about kind of the, the different and educational uses of a Tony box. So any educators listening to this who were interested or parents, uh, frankly, uh, you can find that wherever you find your podcast. It's called Tony Time.
1: Wonderful. And I'll put that all up in the show notes um, so that people can have things to click and link through on. Um, and that's wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you for all you're doing and for keeping creative creativity alive and well. We need more, more of it this uh, in this day and age for sure.
2: Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. It's been a pleasure.
1: As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit.